While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them all and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practised sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades, and said, You know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business, and you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. When they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians! Soon the whole city was in an uproar. 
The people seized Gaius and Aristarchus, Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia, and all of them rushed into the theater together. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theatre. The assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people didn't even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defence before the people. But when they realised he was a Jew... They all shouted in unison for about two hours, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, Fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and of her image which fell from heaven? Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you ought to calm down and not do anything rash. You've brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess? If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are proconsuls. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, we're in danger of being charged with rioting because of what has happened today. In that case, we'd not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. After he had said this, he dismissed the assembly. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the view of God. To God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we were all chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when he when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possessions, to the praise of his glory.
Uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it tells us of what you are like and why you're worthy of praise and how everything that we have in all life is found in your Son, our Saviour, the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, well, can I ask you please to make sure you have a copy of the sermon outline in front of you? Um, it's pretty detailed, so if you don't have one, grab one from the doors at the side. Um, there's uh, some diagrams in the middle that will help make sense of this talk. And also to make sure that you can see in front of you one of these little cards, uh, which has both Ephesians 1 verse 3 on the front printed and some stuff on the back, that will be helpful. Um, and I'll explain a bit more about that at the end of the talk. Uh, well, as uh, Broxy said at the start, we're starting a series uh, today that's going to take us throughout term three uh, on Ephesians. I think it's going to be a wonderful series uh, because it's going to be a series that's all about the amazing things that God has done for us and the things that God is still doing for us and the things that God promises to bring to completion for us and in us. Seems to me there's probably nothing better that we could do each week when we gather together. And so whether you're here today as a new believer, perhaps you've been a Christian all your life, maybe you're here as someone who's still trying to work out who Jesus is and why you ought to bother, I want to say to you, it doesn't get any better than this. Uh, as we start, therefore, to emerge from these cold winter months, uh, please do your best to make sure you're with us each week along the way. It's really important to recognise as we begin that Paul's letter to the Ephesians is just that, it's a letter it's written by a real person to real people in a particular time and place. If you have a look at the diagram at the top left of your handout there, uh, you'll see um, it's kind of a timeline showing when Paul wrote the letter to the Ephesians. Now, actually, Paul helped establish the church in Ephesus over two visits in the early 50s. Uh, that's what was detailed in Acts 18 through 20, and we heard chapter 19 read for us before. The letter here that we're looking at, uh, he wrote to them a few years later, um, and after that, you'll see that Paul will write two more letters, but this time just to Timothy, uh, who is the leader of the church in Ephesus. Uh, before finally, uh, the Apostle John will also write to the church in Ephesus a few decades later. And I want to encourage you, perhaps in this week ahead, you might take this handout and read each of those passages so you get a sense as to where the, passage, where the, the letter fits within the broader context. Uh, underneath that diagram, you'll see also um, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Um, you'll see that the letter is in two parts, um, built on two fundamental truths about what God is like. Uh, firstly, the God who is rich in mercy, that's in chapters 1 through 3. And then the second part of Ephesians, the God who prepared good works in advance for us to do. That's in chapters 4 through 6. Today... We're just going to be looking at verses 3 through 14, the part that was read to us, but in particular at verse 3, because actually today is just an exposition of that one verse, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So with that in mind, you can see from the handout there, point one, every spiritual blessing. In verses 4 through 14, Paul will describe six incredible ways that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Uh, my plan this morning is quite simple. I just want to let each of these speak for themselves in all of their extravagant splendor. Now, any one of those six blessings, of course, could be the subject of an entire sermon. Don't worry, I'll resist the temptation. 
and instead limit what I have to say to just two brief comments about each of those blessings, what's wonderful about them, and then in particular, who is it for? What's wonderful and who is it for? And to give you a heads up, if you look at the bottom right-hand corner, you'll see that I'm going to finish by asking you, inviting you just to turn to the person next to you and for a couple of minutes to share which of these blessings means the most to you and to why. Well, first blessing, there on your handout on the left-hand side, holy and blameless in his sight. Pick it up in verse 4, printed there on your handout for you. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Actually, what I think is wonderful about this first spiritual blessing is when God gave it to us. I'm sure you noticed. It says that he chose us a long, long time ago. Not just at birth, not even before we were born, but, verse 4, before the creation of the world. Paul is referring at this point to what is basically the mind-blowing doctrine of God's pre-choice or election or predestination. And this is such a significant topic that what we're going to do is return to the whole idea in week six and spend some time thinking about this theologically. For now, what Paul is saying is that if God has earmarked his blessings to us before creation, then obviously we cannot say that we have earned them or that we deserve them in any way. Paul is reminding us that God is determined to bless us from even before the world began. And that testifies to his amazing generosity and grace. Nothing will stop him. As for the actual blessing itself, well, it's to be holy and blameless in his sight. To be holy and blameless in his sight. Uh, This is the wonder of a new status, of a new identity, one that's imputed to us, not earned by us. You see, to be called holy and blameless in his sight, or blameless carries the sense of perfect moral purity. Perfect moral purity. Uh, If you look at the other occurrences in the New Testament, and as chapters 4 through 6 will spell out, that's the idea here. And it's saying that even though we all know how far short of God's standards we fall, still in his sight, he sees us as holy and blameless. This is a blessing for anyone who cannot imagine seeing others or being seen by others as perfectly pure. Paul is saying this is how God sees us. How? Well, in Christ. More on that idea later. Well, look at the second blessing, adoption to sonship. Pick it up with me in verse 5. In love he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. This next blessing that God bestows on us, it's about being welcomed into a new family. It's about being welcomed into a family, adoption to sonship. Now, for the record, when Paul says adoption to sonship, he's not being sexist, okay? It's just that back then, only sons could inherit. And so, to be told that we are adopted to sonship, 
Well, that's beyond an orphan's wildest dreams, whether male or female. Now, to be fair, I've often found myself wondering if the ladies amongst us find it odd to be called a son of God. I don't know if that's the case. I asked my wife about this. Uh, Wendy pointed out that in Ephesians 5, the blokes are going to be called brides of Christ. So she's okay with the terminology. Did you notice that just as we were chosen in Christ in verse 3, so our adoption in verse 4 is through Christ? It's saying that in this family, Jesus, the one whom our love, the one whom our father loves above all, Jesus is our eldest brother. And so this is a blessing for anyone who has ever dreamed about belonging to a perfect family. One that will never let you down. Uh, What's especially wonderful, I think, about this second blessing is why God gave it to us, why he chose us, why he predestined us. It says there in verse 4, because he loves us. Because he loves us. So when Paul says it's in accordance with his pleasure and will, he's basically saying God really, really, really wants to bless us. He's determined to love us which I think is just the most amazing comfort and relief, particularly when we're honest about just how unlovable we can be at times. Well, third blessing, bottom of the page there, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Pick it up with me in verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Uh, The third blessing, redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Now, um, that word redemption there, it carries the idea of a fresh start, of the slate being wiped clean. Um, How? Through the forgiveness of sins, of not being weighed down by our past mistakes, or desperately trying to atone for them, or being forced to deny them just to somehow alleviate burden of the crushing guilt that we feel now this blessing is simply being set free from them and what's really wonderful is how this forgiveness comes to us it comes to us according to verse 7 through his blood through christ's blood not through our own efforts you might say not through our own blood sweat and tears but through the blood of christ And again, I think that's just the most amazing relief. Because if redemption is through his blood shed for us, it means our forgiveness is external to us. It is never dependent on us. That means our forgiveness is never in doubt. Do you know, Christians are the only people in the world who never have to worry, have I done enough to make amends? Because we can't. Thankfully, Christ has. This blessing, I think, is for anyone who's felt the gut-wrenching agony of living in the gap between hearing of God's precious promises and experiencing them in full. I say that because the redeeming blood of Christ, it's described there in verse 7 as a foretaste of the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Uh, 
the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. It struck me as I was preparing for this talk and thinking particularly about Acts 19, the passage that David read for us, it struck me how much the Christians in Ephesus must have stood out compared to the rest of their culture, to everyone around them. I mean, Ephesus, Ephesus was an extraordinary place. It was the capital of the Roman province of Asia. It was incredibly wealthy and affluent. Uh, the temple of Artemis that we heard about in Acts 19, uh, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. And yet when Paul talks about the riches that God has lavished on us who believe, he's not just highlighting the limitations of any worldly prizes, he's insisting that God's riches are so much greater. Um, I presume that's the reason why the Ephesian Christians were able to burn all of those scrolls. You heard that story, right? Now, if you're wondering, 50,000 drachmas, that's 50,000 days' wages. Those scrolls were worth a lot in that time, and yet they knew they had something so much better. The riches that God has lavished on us in Christ. Well, look at the fourth blessing on the top of the right-hand side of your handout. Redemption through, uh, sorry, made, to, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure. Pick it up in verse 8. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Uh, this fourth blessing, uh, knowing the mystery of God's will, uh, this blessing is for anyone who has craved assurance that we're living the way God wants us to live. For anyone who's wanted to know, have I made the right choice? Have I made the right decision? Have I acted on the right desire? Have I strived for the right ambition? Because as believers, we really want to live for him who loves us so lavishly. So isn't it wonderful to hear that God wants us to know his will? God wants us to know his mind, his plans for us. God has no intention of leaving us in the dark. He has made known to us the mystery of his will. How? According to his good pleasure. Which I think is just the most lovely phrase, isn't it? According to his good pleasure. It's a bit old-fashioned. But it's saying that God is independently motivated to open up to us. And not because he must. Not because we've earned the right to hear him. Simply because it's his pleasure to show us his will. Can you imagine God saying that? Oh, that's my pleasure. That's my pleasure. And what it does, I think, is it shifts our focus from always thinking that we need to please Him to gratefully enjoying His pleasure in sharing His plans with us. Fifth blessing. We might be for the praise of His glory. Verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Uh, this fifth blessing, I think it answers that age-old question that every generation grapples with. Even more fundamental than who am I, this is the question, why am I here? What is my purpose? The answer that Paul gives both here and again in verse 14, 
Paul's answer is very simple. He says, we might be for the praise of God's glory. We might be for the praise of God's glory. This, I think, is a blessing for anyone who has struggled to fathom what their purpose in life might be. Who's wondered, what difference do I make? Perhaps it's the question that you've asked, what might I be when I grow up? Maybe it's the question you ask, what I wish I'd done as you look back. The answer that Paul gives is not what we usually lean towards. Usually we'd say things like, I wish I'd done more, been more, seen more, achieved more. Paul simply insists, all along, you and I were made for the praise of God's glory. And what's wonderful about that ambition is that it's never too late to start. I was thinking this week about the second criminal who was crucified alongside Jesus. You know the story in Luke 23? The second criminal who with his final breath turned to Christ and was granted entry into paradise. It struck me that at one level, it doesn't feel like that man had very long to be for the praise of God's glory. Maybe a couple of minutes before he died. And yet at another level, for 2,000 years ever since, millions have turned to Christ because they've seen how Jesus saved that man and so they know that he can save us as well. Through the final moments of his life, God's glory has been praised again and again and again. And so to the sixth and final blessing, marked with a seal, a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance. Pick it up in verse 13. You also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Uh, this final blessing is for anyone who is who's intellectually aware of God's goodness to us, but because our present experience is so limited, so inadequate, so imperfect, finds themselves doubting if it's all true. I wonder if that's you today. If that's what's stopping you from going all in with Jesus. What makes this blessing so truly wonderful? Well, it's the joy of knowing that when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, it's interesting, actually, inheritance, uh, that casts our mind back to that adoption metaphor once again. Although I have to say that um, Paul calling the Holy Spirit a deposit who guarantees our inheritance is a bit of an unusual metaphor. Uh, I don't know, actually. Have you, I don't know if you've ever tried that approach. You know, what, I don't know if you've ever tried asking for some of your inheritance now so that you can be certain that there's more on its way. Can I just say, I suspect there won't be if you do. Um, and yet, what Paul, I think, is trying to do is insist you and I can be 100% certain that God will deliver on the goods because of what he's already given us. He has already installed the Holy Spirit in us. 
And if he's gone that far already, if he has taken up residence in us, you know that he'll finish what he's begun. I often hear Christians talk about wanting to come into God's presence, wanting to draw near to him, to feel him by my side. And I completely understand the sentiment and the desire. But I want to say, it doesn't actually matter if I feel near to God, if he is near to me. In fact, if he is in me, at work in me, reshaping me in the image of his son day by day, he cannot be any nearer than that. No wonder then that Paul will conclude this whole section once again with the praise of God's glory. Well, what do you think? Six incredible spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ. As I said at the start, in a moment, I'm going to get you to share with the person next to you uh, which one of these does it for you and, and why. Uh, but before I do, let me just make a few more brief comments about verse 3, uh, which really answer some of the questions that are raised in this section. So again, Ephesians 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. A couple of comments there on the right-hand side of your handout. Point 2, in Christ Jesus. I wonder if you noticed as we went along how every single one of those six blessings were in Christ or through Christ. I wonder if you noticed that. In fact, here's what I want you to do. Grab the pen that's in front of you. Grab the pen. I'm going to get you to write, not in the Bibles, on your handouts where I've printed the passage, but grab the pen. And what I want you to do is come with me as we look through verses 4 through 14. So for he chose us in him. Just put a ring around those words, in him, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We'll come down to the next section. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship. Put a ring around through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us, and then put a ring around in the one he loves. Keep going with your pen. Verse 7, in him, put a ring around that. We have redemption, put a ring around through his blood, uh, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. Verse 8, with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed, put a ring around, in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth, put a ring around, under Christ. Verse 11, in him, put a ring around that, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And finally, verse 13, you also were included, put a ring around, in Christ, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed you were marked in him, again, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Now, What's the point? Well, the point is that all these blessings are found in Christ. So don't go looking for them anywhere else. Don't go looking for them anywhere else. Or put it slightly differently. 
You cannot find these six spiritual blessings, holy and blameless, adoption to sonship, forgiveness of sins, knowing God's will, being for the praise of his glory, the deposit of the Holy Spirit. You cannot find them anywhere except in Jesus. You can scour the universe. You can search high and low. You can look near and far. You will never find them anywhere except in Christ. So come to him today. Point three on your handout, in the heavenly realms. Uh, You might be thinking to yourself, well, look, that's all nice and great, Jeff. Those spiritual blessings sound fantastic, but I don't seem to be in full possession of them yet. Why not? Why don't we experience them fully? There's two answers. Uh, Part of the answer is because verse three said that they were spiritual blessings, not material blessings. Uh, Even though... Let me just make this side point. God has blessed us materially also, particularly here in 21st century Adelaide. In fact, when viewed on a global scale, across time and space, you would say, God has given us an embarrassment of riches. But the main reason why these spiritual blessings are not fully realised is because of verse 10. See, in verse 10, we find that God's plan to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ, it's not yet complete. And so it's right for us to say that these spiritual blessings are fully ours, beyond a shadow of a doubt, but we don't experience them in full. Not until God's plan for all things in creation has been brought to fruition. Uh, Maybe to use that inheritance metaphor one last time, Maybe think about a trust fund. You know how a trust fund works? It's when someone is given something before they are of age. It's already theirs in part, but one day, soon enough, it will be theirs in full, in totality, in completion. Well, in the meantime, how are we meant to live? Uh, Part of the answer, actually, will come next week Uh, in verse 15. So if you have a look with me at how verse 15 begins, for this reason, for this reason, Paul's going to go and explain how to live, and I'm not going to say anything more today, just come back next week. Uh, But actually, the other way to respond was contained right back in verse 3. Right back in verse 3. Come with me to it one last time. Because you remember how this whole section began? Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Paul is telling us that, yes, we count our blessings, not so that we marvel at them, like one does one's own assets or one's own accomplishments, Paul is telling us to count our blessings so we might praise the one who has lavished so much on us in such incredible abundance. That's the reason why at the start of this service, in our first song, we sang, every blessing you pour out, I'll turn back in praise. And that's how we can always be called to praise God in every moment of our life. 
So the reason we're to call praise God is not because of our particular circumstances. Sometimes our circumstances can be great and praiseworthy, but other times, to be really frank, our circumstances are awful. And yet the reason why we are called to praise God is because of what he has given to every believer in Christ. The spiritual blessings that he has bestowed on us, no matter how rich or poor, no matter healthy or sick, whether young or old, employed or not, happy or sad, strong or weak, self-assured or full of doubt. The reason we praise God is because of every spiritual blessing in Christ. Not every circumstantial blessing we might experience. And Paul is saying this is what we're to be for. This is what we're to be for. And this is why I'm excited about this whole series. Because it seems to me that this is a message we can share with our world around us. You know, the discussion question I'm going to get you to work on in just a moment, in sharing with other Christians, I think that's a pretty easy starting point. But surely, outsiders will be intrigued by our excitement and our thankfulness and our gratitude. And so, you can see there on the bottom right-hand side of your handout, for just two minutes, I'm going to ask you to turn to the person next to you and talk about this discussion question, which of these blessings means the most to you and why? Get you to share for just a couple of minutes and then I'll close for us in prayer. Over to you.